I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz Now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. Michelle here. Are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? I totally get how exhausting that can be. As a nervous system expert, I want to teach you how when our nervous system isn't functioning properly, it shows up for us mentally, emotionally, and physically. Are you always tired? Do you really have trouble concentrating? Maybe you find that you're just perpetually busy and you can tend to be a bit of a workaholic. Yep, those are signs of dysregulation. Do you often feel edgy or irritable? Or maybe you struggle with people-pleasing or low self-confidence. Those are signs of dysregulation too. How about in your body? Have you struggled with IBS or, or gut issues? Maybe you struggle with insomnia or you have migraines or You feel like you're always sick. These are all telltale signs of a dysregulated nervous system. So if any of this sounds familiar, you've got to register now for my free live virtual workshop, the Mom Brain Masterclass. I'm hosting it on May 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to teach you all that it takes to rewire that mom brain of yours so you can have practical tools and understanding for everything we just talked about anxiety, overwhelm, burnout, all the things so that you can really be that calm, centered presence in your home and at work. And don't worry if you can't make it to the live event, just be sure to register today and I'll record it for you and I'll send it out to you via email afterward so you don't miss out. Can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. 
I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast. Michelle Grosser here, your master coach. So grateful you've taken some time to spend with us today. Today I am talking with Melody Wilding. We are talking all things high sensitivity. We're talking about what it means to be a sensitive striver for those of you high achieving mamas who do consider yourself to be on the high sensitive side. We're talking about people pleasing. We're talking about over functioning and imposter syndrome. It's going to be so good. Melody is a best-selling author. She wrote the book, Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking, and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. She was recently named one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches for her groundbreaking work in her course, Sensitive Strivers. She's worked with all kinds of people, CEOs, C-level executives, managers at top Fortune 500 companies like Google and Amazon. She's been featured all over the place, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. She's contributed to the Harvard Business Review and Fast Company in Psychology Today. She is a licensed social worker. She's got a master's from Columbia, and she is a professor of human behavior at Hunter College. You guys, this conversation is so good. I can't wait for you to hear it. Enjoy. Melody, welcome to the Calm Mom podcast. We are so thankful for the time you're spending here with us today. I know we have a lot of topics we're going to talk about that I'm believing are going to encourage and teach some of the women listening. So just welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled and honored to be here. So thank you so much for having me. So before we jump into it, would you just let everyone know maybe a little bit about yourself and then also about your professional journey and the work that you're doing? It's so interesting. Yeah. Well, on the professional side, I am a executive coach. My background is as a licensed social worker. So I, I really began my career as a therapist and became really intrigued with this intersection between our work and our identities. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I started out, you know, this was over 10 years ago and talk about mental health in our careers and, and at work, it just wasn't a conversation we were having then. And so I was really able to carve myself a niche, really working with people who are both high achieving, so very driven, put a lot of pressure on themselves to succeed, but who are also very highly sensitive, meaning they think and feel everything more deeply. And I know we'll talk more about that in our conversation today. That That's on the professional side. And on the personal side, you know, I grew up my entire life being told I was too sensitive. I took things too personally, feeling like I was so much more affected by everything going on around me than my my friends or my my peers. And, you know, I reached a point very early on in my career where not only had I 
followed what everyone told me I should do. I felt like I had checked all the boxes. I had gotten the gold stars and the A pluses, yet I still wasn't happy. And the real turning point for me came several years into my career when I hit a really severe burnout that completely leveled me, made me bedridden for a time. And that was really the turning point where I realized, you know, I have to do something differently. I'm I'm letting other people's criticism and my own lack of boundaries, it was really completely decimating me. And that was sort of the turning point for me and, you know, a catalyst that also brought me to doing this work too. Wow. Fascinating. I'm curious, just as a mom myself, like, did you find, or did you notice those comments about your sensitivity from pretty early on? Because I have a five, almost six-year-old and she's so, I have two kids, right? And her in particular, I'm noticing like she, one, she can, she can notice and is aware of like the slightest nuanced expressions or changes in tone. And she does, she's just such a deep feeler. And it's so, it's so beautiful. And I'm, I'm believing she's going to harness it and working with someone like you, you know, to be able to turn that into one of her superpowers. But I just wonder if you remember being that young and having those sensitivities kind of show up. Absolutely. <laughs> I can remember it from probably from the time I, I could form memories wow. that I also, I just picked up on every single little thing, people's facial expressions, shifts in energy and dynamics, and just feeling re really vigilant of what was happening around me. Yeah. But also things like I, I did not do well with surprises. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I, I can remember my parents one time arranged for this sort of surprise party for me for my birthday, and I had a complete and total meltdown. I just total overstimulation, could not handle it. And so I think those clues are there from a very, very young age because sensitivity, it is, it is part nature. You know, it is a biological disposition that about 20% of the population has. So this is one in five people. And all it really means is that you have a more attuned nervous system. So your nervous system is more responsive to what's going on around you in your environment or what's happening within you, your own thoughts and emotions. And you're processing those more deeply. So what's really interesting is that research shows they've done, they've done MRIs on people that are higher on the sensitivity scale. And in the brains of sensitive people, there, there are centers around processing of emotions and thoughts and connecting different ideas, contemplation, concentration, decision-making. All of those areas light up more in the areas of more sensitive people, which indicates that we're we're not only taking in more information about the surroundings, noticing those details that other people miss, mm -hmm. but then we're also synthesizing them, thinking about them, chewing them over much more deeply than the other 80% or so of people. Wow. I didn't realize that it was that common, one in five. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of a wake up to... I hope the whole world that like we could just be more compassionate, right? About the people mm -hmm. around us because man, this is, is so incredible. I can imagine 
how, especially what you're describing about just taking it all in and being more attuned, how that can be overwhelming in one sense. But I can also imagine how a lot of that can be harnessed as a strength, right? Kind of like a superpower. Can you talk to us a little bit about the strengths that that have come with that sensitivity? Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head that these can be, these traits can have a tremendous upside. The unfortunate part is that many of us, you know, I didn't discover I was highly sensitive until I was well into my 20s and it was like a light bulb went off. Oh, so many things about how I am and my past experiences, everything makes sense now. And there's a label for this and a term for this and I'm not weak or deficient. Yeah. But at this yeah, at the same time when we're not aware of them or we're not taught about these capabilities, then they can get in our way. So Speaking of of some of the upsides, you know, we talked about that ability to perceive details and nuance that other people m- miss. Mm. And so, you know, if if you think about common situations in the workplace, you may be able to sense opportunities or even risks that other people don't see, but because you're putting pieces together, you see those. Or because we're able to sense other people's emotions more deeply, we actually have more active mirror neurons, which is the empathy neuron. That's where that ability to almost read people's feelings comes from. So you may sense a change in your children, right? Maybe they're not acting the same way or their habits have changed just slightly and that can clue you on to maybe something's happening at school for them, for example. And so that ability to highlight and perceive what others have missed is huge, you know, as is being able to speak up about what others may not be talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see this a lot. I work with a lot of professional women and, and leaders, executives in the workplace, and they will always hold back and say, you know, no one else has brought this up yet. So it must not be a good idea when in actuality, you're just a couple steps ahead of other people. So I think those are two very important ways that sensitivity can can serve us well. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I love you tying it into how it might impact our workplaces, our professional mm-hmm. lives. Uh, but I'm sure it doesn't stay there, right? Like our relationships, our familiar relationships, our partnerships. Every, everywhere that we show up, it, it comes along with us. So I wonder if you have any advice maybe or just words of wisdom for people listening who are having that aha moment or this light bulb that this is really resonating and, and maybe explaining a lot for them. Maybe some tips or tools that you found that can be really helpful for highly sensitive people in their relationships and just interactions with others. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's there's this concept in the research that's called differential susceptibility. And that's a very fancy way of saying that as sensitive people, we are more affected by our surroundings for better or for worse. So if we are in quote unquote positive environments, we have above average performance and outcomes. But if we're in non-supportive environments, we have worse than average outcomes. And so I think this points to really designing your life and your environment, everything down to your home, your office, (laughs) designing all of that to really optimize for what you need. And 
you know, for for me, a big decision I made. So when I used to live in New York City, you and I were talking before we started recording. I used to live in New York City and my apartment was very dark. All of my furniture was black. I had very little sunlight and it made me really depressed. <laughs> and as someone who is more sensitive, I just felt that at such an intense level. So when I moved and I had the opportunity to redo my office, now everything is white. It's very calming colors because I know that my surroundings will affect how I feel. And it's my responsibility to optimize that. And that goes for people as well. <laughs> you know, being paying attention to who you're surrounding yourself with, being wise about those decisions, because I think as sensitive people, what what I've observed among my clients, and certainly this is in my own story as well, is that we're drawn to situations and people we feel like we can fix mm-hmm. or that we we can make it better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And classic example of this is a toxic or dysfunctional workplace mm-hmm. where you think, well, I-, I see the opportunity here. I know I can make this better. I'll be dedicated and you put yourself in an environment where it's not possible for you to succeed. And so I think we have to look at the double-edged sword of that drive to help people and want to make an impact, but not do it at our our own peril or our own sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I can see how that probably crosses over a lot with like a, this need to people please, right? If you're so mm-hmm. deeply sensitive and then wanting and seeing how you could make things better and help everyone around you and having such like mm-hmm. a genuine deep desire to do so and do everything well. Tell me a little bit, I guess, about the intersection between being highly sensitive and maybe people pleasing and then what you can do about it. Maybe whether you're highly sensitive or not, when that little urge comes up to just kind of avoid the tendency to, to be stuck in that pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, people pleasing is definitely one of the most common patterns <laughs> I see among people I work with who are sensitive. And it, it's an extension of our ability to be perceptive of other people's needs and feelings. And also sensitive people tend to have a high drive for morality, justice, fairness. And we tend to be very giving, right? Giving of ourselves. We have big hearts. And that again, tremendous strength. I'm all for making an impact. That's why I do this work that I do. But people pleasing happens when you are putting other people's needs ahead of your own chronically to the point where you are changing your opinion. You're going along to get along. You're being the peacekeeper. You're overly accommodating to everybody else's needs and you're starting to suffer for it. So I think one of the biggest tips I can offer is that we have to identify these situations where we may be over-functioning, where we may be taking on more responsibility than than is ours to take on. And one of the biggest, the biggest telltale sign of that is the feeling of resentment. Mm. So if you can take stock, audit areas in your life where that feeling of resentment is coming up very intensely, that can tell you a lot about where you need to set boundaries, where you may be overextending yourself and guide you to how you need to make some changes. Yeah. 
And I can imagine that's probably pretty scary. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. right, there's a lot of feelings that you might be upsetting people or letting people down, disappointing them, or maybe even coming off as being like rude or selfish. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if as a highly sensitive person, the feelings of because I think even if you're not highly sensitive, that can bring up feelings of guilt and, and all the things. So what are some ways in which you can like do that in a way or stretch yourself in a way that you can do it without feeling so guilty about it to kind of detach the other person's response from the boundary that you need to set? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We could do a whole podcast just about <laughs> this. Yeah. So I, I like to say that it's not it's not selfish to set boundaries and say, no, it's selfish not to. Because if you take on more than you can handle and you can't follow through on your commitments and you do so with resentment and frustration and fatigue, that's not, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to your children, your family, your community, your coworkers. It's not fair to anyone else. And so a clear boundary really serves everyone. It allows other people to understand where you stand, right? And that that benefits everyone. Mm. And similarly, I was talking about this concept of overfunctioning, which is when you fix, you try to rescue situations and other people, you solve problems for them. And that can create this dynamic where other people underfunction. So mm. They do not step up and take ownership in the way that they need to. And so a big reframe for many people I work with is this idea that, oh, actually me trying to help is actually harming other people because it's it's holding them back from learning the skills that they need to. Yeah. And that can be a really big light bulb for folks. Yeah, I can see that at work and I can also see it in parenting, right? Mm -hmm. Overfunctioning with our kids and wanting to do all the things because we think we're being helpful and we're like tying their shoes and they're eight years old or whatever. And it's exactly that, right? It's that we're taking away opportunities for them to grow and learn to do these things on their own. It's so true. Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit. And then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns. And they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two minute personality patterns quiz. As you talk about these boundaries, I was kind of thinking about your story 
of ending up so burnt out that you were bedridden. Can you tell us, I guess, just a little bit about that journey and maybe some of the signs leading to burnout? Because I think sometimes we're moving so quickly that we Mm -hmm. don't even notice what's happening, right? Until we do end up bedridden or something really big happens. So maybe maybe your journey and then what you kind of missed that that Mm -hmm. others can now see coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll start with the, the second part of that first. And I think a big part of what led me to burnout was that I was constantly squashing down my intuition. Mm, That deep inside, there was something telling me that you're, you're not in a, in the right situation for you. And I just kept saying, oh, you're being too sensitive. You need to work harder. Everyone else can handle it. Why can't you? And so I really kept gaslighting myself (laughs) and that, that really, I think that was a big part of what led me to burnout was this constant invalidation of myself that just kept pushing me not, not just outside of my comfort zone, but really into a danger zone where I was just on constant high alert at all times. Literally, my body could not downregulate. I was just in a fear state all the time because my nervous system was so overextended. So. I think that was a big part of it. And one of the warning signs that I wish I had seen earlier and that separates burnout from just plain exhaustion, Mm -hmm. not that that's good by (laughs) itself, but burnout really happens when you become cynical, Mm -hmm. when you feel like, what's the point? Nothing matters anyway. I can't make a difference here. Uh, The future doesn't look very bright. It's that cynicism and that loss of optimism that is really the hallmark of, impo- of <laughs> sorry, of burnout. Yeah. And I wish I had recognized that sooner like, because it, it, it's very insidious. It doesn't come on in one day. It just creeps up over, over a period of time. And so you asked what was, what was helpful in me sort of getting out of that and going back to this conversation around boundaries, really embracing this idea of you teach people how to treat you. Mm. And I had taught everyone around me that I would be the one to always say yes, that I would be willing to drop everything, that I would raise my hand to take on the five additional projects that were outside my job description. That if, if my boss, for example, gave me really critical feedback, I would just swallow it and not stand up for myself and, you know, correct him if he was wrong about anything. Mm -hmm. So I really taught people to treat me like a doormat. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of it was reteaching, (laughs) reteaching people how to treat me. And that that's had to start with more respect for myself. Ah, man, that's beautiful insight and highly sensitive or not. I feel like that's such Mm -hmm. great coaching for for anyone listening, because we can all relate to a certain extent of being in that position and, and feeling ourselves being drained by not having those boundaries or standing up for ourselves or expressing ourselves or whatever, whatever however it shows up. Mm-hmm. I wonder kind of with this thing of people pleasing and the boundaries, talk to me a little bit about maybe just like habits or routines. Do, do people who have high sensitivity 
do habits and routines help them to thrive? Or is that one of the ways that they can kind of move forward in in their spaces more than otherwise, maybe? 100%. Yeah, you very, speaking of intuition, I feel like you very intuitively found your way to that. Yes, habits and routines can be important for sensitive people because they ground us. They give us a sense of more certainty and control and can certainly help us regulate better rather than just sort of dealing with the whims and reacting to everything that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so whether that is your classic morning routine where you're really starting the day with something that is just for you or, you know, again, because a lot of the people I work with are professionals, they have routines around preparing for a meeting. Because if you're going into a meeting already in a heightened state of stress, then any little thing can sort of send you off the the charts and really send you into that fight or flight or freeze mode where you're not going to be at your best or it's more likely you cry. For example, that that's a big one. Or you get thrown off when someone asks you a question you're not prepared for. So, you know, we really do have to be good stewards of our nervous systems. Yeah, yeah, all of us. Oh, it's good. I wonder for the moms listening who are listening to this and then kind of wondering if maybe they're raising highly sensitive children or maybe they're married to a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. What are some ways we can best support the people we love that are highly sensitive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I so appreciate you asking this again because it's it's not a trait that's really talked about as much as something like introversion or extroversion, right? And so I think first and foremost is changing how you perceive and conceive of sensitivity mm-hmm. and being mindful of the messages you're sending to your children and not saying things like you're being so sensitive. You might say something more validating along the lines of, I can see you care a lot about this, oh, that's good. right? It, it has a totally different tone. One is much more stop being the way you are, which is very confusing for a child in particular. And the other one is you're okay as you are. Help me, help me understand what's going on for you. Mm. So I think that's a big part of it. And especially with spouses or, or partners, really checking in. You know, for example, my my husband and I have a habit of, you know, we see how available either one of us is for a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to talk about XYZ. How 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 much bandwidth do you have for talking about this right now before yeah. you just sort of launch into talking about it? I love uh, because the highly sensitive person, we like to think We like to deliberate before we take action. So the more you can give us things to prepare ourselves, whether it's, you know, questions in advance, bullet points you want to discuss, the menu for the restaurant that we're going to go to, (laughs) the, the better we will be because we like to have thought through things and then we'll be able to perform and be present at our best. Ah, so good. It's good. And those are just one, it's just a beautiful compassion. And then also, it's just also a boundary around respecting the other person's mm-hmm. space and bandwidth and, and, you know, their mental load and all of that stuff. I, I love that. 
Uh, I know you also do a lot of work around imposter syndrome. And I would love to talk about that a little bit before we before we jump off today. Maybe just tell us a little bit about how that tends to show up. And then maybe we could go through some of the ways in which we can prepare ourselves or prime ourselves or respond when we're feeling imposter syndrome creeping in. Yeah. So for anyone who's not familiar, I feel like everyone is has been exposed to imposter syndrome, especially in the last few years. But imposter syndrome is a feeling of intellectual fraudulence. So yes, in other words, you feel like you are not as smart and as capable as other people or your degrees or performance reviews or anything says you are. And so imposter syndrome is really about a disconnect between how you view yourself and what's true and what's fact. Yeah. And a hallmark. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so a hallmark of imposter syndrome is an inability to take in our accomplishments. So uh, you may, you know, have executed a great project. You may have had some sort of great achievement at home, but you're, you brush it off, you push it away. And that's because accomplishments and wins and achievements are not consistent with how you view yourself. So it's like Teflon. It just sort of bounces off of you. So if you're wanting to work on your imposter syndrome, then increasing, developing your ability to take in the good and to appreciate your wins is so, so important and and so core. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing in that too, is a lot of just getting better at receiving in general, right? Mm-hmm. Probably receiving compliments, receiving love, receiving appreciation, all of these things. That's it's so interesting. And I wonder for those of us who feel like we either have these big professional goals or we have this idea we want to write a book or like something like that, this big project, and we're paralyzed and even getting started because that imposter syndrome is so present. Are there some ways in which we can move through that in a healthy way that's not just like suppressing something or moving something aside, but actually working through it so that it's not paralyzing us or holding us back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you identified something important, which is that with imposter syndrome, you feel like you have to be the end all be all world's top expert, <laughs> best person in something before you even attempt to do it. And so- I always say you can't wait until you feel 100% ready because you will be waiting forever. You will never feel 100% ready. So you really do have to take imperfect action. You have to allow things to be bad at first. And for, trust me, I am in the middle of writing my second book and it's really, it's not great. (laughs) It's very painful. It's very, very painful. But I know that this is the process. I felt like this when writing Trust Yourself. And it you just have to let things be bad before they get good. And so you have to just start. You have to trust in your resourcefulness. Yep. And I find it can be helpful to think about what are three hard things I've done in the past. And what does that say about my ability, my resilience, my resourcefulness, my ability to just figure it out? Because that can really shore up your confidence in those moments. 
Yeah. Oh man. So and there's so much there. I, I can relate to a lot of that too, because especially with the launch of this podcast, I had to move through so much discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I kept telling myself, because I'm one of those people who does like to over prepare and do all my research and have all my spreadsheets and all the equipment mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's like, I had to keep telling myself like, Michelle, ready is a choice. <laughs> you get inside mm-hmm. when you're ready. It has nothing to do with how you're going to feel or if you have all of this stuff, like you just decide to be mm-hmm. ready and then go for it and then learn to be really comfortable in the uncomfortable free fall and the messiness mm-hmm. of it and the process and the learning. And as I started my early episodes in particular, I just remember thinking to myself every time I sat down to record, like, okay, Michelle, this is the worst episode you're going to record because going forward, they're just going to get better every single time, Mm -hmm. right? Because like you were saying with your book, it's just trusting the process and having, I don't even know what the word is, if it's bravery, but just like putting yourself out there and then letting that process work itself out as you, as you have that courage to to start. It's interesting. Yeah. And and I think it's also important to redefine success. Uh, because yes. we we think of success as, you know, my my podcast rates reaches the top of the charts or I get recognized for some sort of award. But success is really about doing the hard thing, right? And proving to yourself you can. And so I really had to build the muscle of redefining, expand, broadening my scope of what a win is beyond just perfect excellence and somebody else validating me to, you know, I I set a hard boundary. I overcame resistance, you know, these, these character building moments that we often just fly past and we don't appreciate. Yes. And I feel like that's preaching to all the moms listening to because it's not just with these huge projects, but even just being a working mom, a work from home mom, uh, adjusting what it means to have a successful workday or adjusting what it means to be productive is probably going to look very different on different days. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you blow the whole thing up, but it's just having Mm -hmm. that ability, right? To like pivot and adjust and reframe what it means to be a success. I, I love that. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder with within all of this with imposter syndrome, just get started. Let it be messy for those who, you know, to even get started are really learning to trust themselves or just the idea of that messiness or being judged through that messiness feels freezing. What are some ways or some exercises or some priming, I don't know, some ways that they can just start to feel or even get their nervous system to a place where they can actually function in those early stages where it is so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think we were talking about the power of wins. Yeah. Tracking your wins, having actual evidence of them is very important. So, you know, whether that's a doc on your computer, journaling, three things that went well, the days before, you really have to train your brain to look for the good rather than with imposter syndrome. It's always looking for how am I not measuring up? What did I do poorly? Why does that mean I'm a horrible person? So I think that can be very helpful for starting to train yourself to be more optimistic and appreciative. You know, I, I, I think realizing that 
no one is immune to critical feedback Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. someone out there is not going to like what you do, whether it's how you raise your kids or, you know, it's, it's what you're putting out there for your business. Someone is not going to like it. And if you try to please everybody, you try, you, you end up pleasing nobody. And so I've found it very helpful for myself to just identify who is that one person I'm trying to speak to. Right. And with that too, I think it can be helpful to draw on your personal hero. So we all have someone that we admire their, their grace or their courage. Who is that hero for you? And what would they do if they were in your shoes? And that can be very powerful because it gets you out of your own head. It helps you create some psychological distance from the situation and and not be so fused with it. Mm-hmm. And it also helps you get in touch with your values mm-hmm. about why are you doing this thing? Why is it important to you? And can just help you move ahead more confidently. Oh, I love that. It's almost like this avatar or this idea that you can be like, what would this person do in this situation? Yeah. And you, can, you mm-hmm. can kind of borrow that until you're ready and confident in your own that's so good. Man, this has been such a great conversation. I really, I've learned a lot and I really appreciate the space that you're taking. I feel like it's going to make me just a better mom, I think, and a better wife because I have a feeling that what I'm seeing in my daughter is probably a lot of the same things that I see in my husband too. Like he's such a deep feeler too. So this is really a really beautiful conversation. For people listening, can you just let them know where they can find more of you? You mentioned your book in passing, but also let them know the title of the book. I'll link it in the show notes, but where they can find it and where they can get more of what you're offering. Yes. Thank you again for having me. It was a real pleasure. You can find me at my website, melodywilding.com. I have courses and coaching programs and all sorts of freebies there. And you can find the book. It's called Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. And that's wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can find it anywhere online. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, we'll link that. So those of you who are listening, who are that your your interest is piqued about highly sensitive people, definitely make it easy for you to grab a copy. Thanks, Melody. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, It would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.